We're joined today by Nanette, Dr. Nanette Pearson, and uh, Dr. Pearson is the founder and the director of Sandalwood Community Food Pantry, and many of you know what Sandalwood Community Food Pantry is all about. I'm going to have her explain a little bit more about that, but I'm glad that you're joining us today. I am Nanette. so excited. It's a blessing, and I want to say you continue year after year to be a great blessing to Sandalwood Community Food Pantry especially in this COVID-19 pandemic, you have gone above and beyond and we are so, so grateful. You're making a difference in the lives of so many of our neighbors, thank you. It's our honor and our privilege to be a part of it. We're thankful to have you here today as we have um, really wrapping up today and as we've come out of uh, these weeks where we've been focused on racial reconciliation and what the Bible has to say about it, what the Bible has to say about prejudice, racism, reconciliation. I know that you've joined us. We've talked about oneness. I know that you've joined us, uh, you know, over the internet and you've been um, keeping in touch with us and what we've been talking about. So I want to begin today by asking your perspective on this. Now, I want you to realize that Nanette is, Dr. Pearson is uh, not only uh, the only woman who's a part of her denomination, um, but she is also the only uh, person who is white <laughs> um, in uh, this area of your denomination. And so I'm sure that you've seen racism in all kind of different forms. Um, tell me, Nanette, what your perspective is on how when we are moving the gospel forward, we are also moving forward racial reconciliation. How does that happen? How do, how do you, do you see that play out? Yes. Well, for all of those who remember that Pastor Todd was not born when the first man landed on the moon, those of us who were, I wanted to share this. I think it's very important. In an interview with Meet the Press on April 17, 1960, when I was just four, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was asked by Frank Vander Linden of Nashville Banner, well, sir, you said integration is the law of the land and it's morally right, whereas segregation is morally wrong, and the president, at that time it would have been Dwight Eisenhower, should do something about it. Do you mean that the president should issue an order that schools and churches and stores should be integrated? Reverend Dr. King responded, I think it's one of the tragedies of our nation one of the shameful tragedies that 11 o'clock on Sunday is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hour in Christian America. I definitely think the Christian church should be integrated and any church that stands against integration and that has a segregated body, well, it's standing against the spirit and the teachings of Jesus Christ and it fails to be a true witness. Jesus came uh, to bring the good news. He, he came to uh, do his Father's will for all. And we see all throughout uh, Scripture his breaking down the walls that divided. And uh, we, we see Jesus being the focal point of, of racial reconciliation over and over again. And then the first church, of course, we haven't even talked about that, how the first church turned the world upside down in terms of the Jew and Gentile and the division that existed. 
there. Um, Nanette, you have seen, uh, you know, racism, I'm sure, in so many different forms and formats. Um, but you actually, God laid it on your heart uh, many years ago to start Sandalwood Community Food Pantry. And you guys are partners with us. Um, tell us a little bit about, most people at Hilton and Allen Community Church probably know, but tell us a little bit about how that was birthed. What's, what's the mission of Sandalwood Community Food Pantry? Yeah. Who, who are the people who take advantage of what you guys offer? Well, we've come a long way. Uh, 11 years ago, uh, after sadly an unfortunate murder, uh, mistaken identity, everything was locked down at Sandalwood Terrace Apartments. And I fed the first five families that day. Now we're feeding almost 1,000 families throughout the year. It was 850 before the COVID-19. I'll tell you this very brief story. The first few weeks there, there was so much racial tension that even in the Hispanic community, the Mexicans and the Portuguese or the Spanish were all at odds with each other. I had watched over the years it grow into such a family. I think the only way you can come together is if you share something common, and that was hunger. When you're hungry, it hurts, and you're in, in situations with people you may not have chosen to be with, but you're with them because you're all in the same boat. And you can either sink in that boat or you can begin to float together and paddle your way out. And that is what I've seen. Recently with this COVID, we have mostly had a black population and a very small white. Our Hispanic population has literally exploded at the pantry and it has been a blessing. They are the most humble of people just yesterday when we were giving out gift cards, six or seven of them said, Dr. Pearson, you gave me one last week. Give it to someone else who needs it. it it's magnificent. So now we have a really much broader and diverse, I would say 50% African-American. I would say 40% Hispanic at 10% white. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's, it's been a beautiful uh, experience watching over the 11 years how that's changed, how we've all become, as I say, one tribe. Yeah. And that's something that we actually are talking about today as we end this series. And I love how uh, serving people has caused some of those walls to go down. It's caused some of those walls that uh, have been up maybe for years and even within a culture, different cultures within Lifetime. the culture, the walls went down. And I think that's an important aspect to point out about the gospel message is that when we serve, um, it's not only when we share, but when we serve mm -hmm. other people, we have the opportunity to make a difference. One of those areas is in the area of, of bringing reconciliation. Mm -hmm. You got to serve a thousand families. Um, right now. And that takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of coordination. Um, I know that we've been involved in the past and we've got some amazing people who are involved in helping um, you guys out on a regular basis. What changes have you had to make with COVID-19 um, to serve yeah. the people in our community? Well, we have no room in the inn, uh, so there's no space. And so when COVID hit, I had to be very creative. We have been serving the last 22 weeks outdoors under tents when it's raining and pouring. And I thanked God Tuesday that the storm passed us by because that would have been a muddy mess. And so we're serving outdoors. The people are so grateful. We're giving them an abundance of food to last the whole week, all the basic needs they can imagine, 
and gift cards too, thanks to all of you. Uh, so it's been tiresome and exhausting. We cannot go back into when this settles down finally because the growth has become so large. And so our dream is to hopefully soon have a place we can call home, a place that's larger where we can literally serve and do all the services we so much want to do there. Now talk to me a little bit more about that because you approached uh, our church a few, quite a few years ago. Yeah. Um, when you were in the middle of a crisis in yeah. terms of where you guys were going to have Sandalwood Community Food Pantry. And for a lot of reasons, it wasn't the right time. And I think we both kind of came to that agreement. That it was time for us to help yeah. and to serve you, yes. but maybe not time for us to be the home of Sandalwood Community Food Pantry. But recently, you surprised me, and you talked to me about uh, a vision that God has given you and your leadership team. Talk to us a little bit about that and well, maybe how we can be a part. Yeah, it's the same vision. Uh, six years ago, right. I came to Todd. I was just recovering from third stage cancer. Um, I was feeling really blessed. And I kept seeing the vision of this partnership. And y'all were so gracious. We were considering the old uh, warehouse building. But at that time, it wasn't good for my health. It was just a challenge. And we ended up finding a place we could lease for an affordable amount of, of finances. But this vision continues, and it continues, and it continues. And last time I came to visit and talk with my brother, I was so delighted to see your Hispanic community begin. Um, I was jumping up and down for joy. Uh, because I see that that is a very, very necessary ministry. And I see that at the pantry. And I can see how explosive it is getting. And they are such Christ-centered people. Uh, so beautiful, so humble. And so again, I came back. And so we have this design and this project for the first resilient pantry in the state of South Carolina. It's a resilient pantry that was approved by our architectural review board here on Hilton Head Island. And it's a place where our clients can be safe by choice and not chance when the next hurricane hits or pandemic like we're experiencing now. Because hunger is a never-ending pandemic. Um, and so we just need a larger place. And I again keep seeing this vision. And I don't know what God has in store, but I trust, I trust that we will be able to continue uh, to do our ministry. And I just wanted to say this. This is funny. I, I, um, I've always known that. I never read things, but I wrote this. Serving others, something I've done most of my life, um, is what some call ministry. Hmm? It has to involve yourself with not worrying about being offended, right? And that's what servants do, servant leaders, that's, that's for sure. And you must learn to just be okay with being offended. So I always say, ask any minister who deals with homeless, the imprisoned, orphans, addicted to trouble, and I've ministered to all of them. It's not a side issue. Choosing to be unoffendable out of love is a ministry. And the real ministry forces us to abandon that need to constantly have approval from others. And I believe I do that. And that's why my love for all my people I serve is reckless and powerful. Oh, and that's so that. important. Yeah. I love that. I love your heart. I love what you're doing. I believe that God has uh, just uh, you know, brought 
us to mind um, during this period of time uh, when, you know, as you said, there's no room at the end and uh, it's time maybe for a new home. And we're going to dive in and we're going to see what the possibilities are on that. And I don't think it's any coincidence that God has called us as a church years ago, actually, that just started right before COVID to launch a Hispanic ministry. And I don't think that's any coincidence that that dovetails so well with, um, you know, uh, some of those who are coming to the pantry. And I can't wait to see what God does this time around uh, (laughs) with us being the home, possibly, of Sandalwood Community Food Pantry. Nanette, we're so thankful for what you do um, in this community to help uh, Hilton Head Island. A lot of people, when they think of Hilton Head Island, don't think of the great need that exists, but it exists, and it exists today more than ever. And thank you for what you're doing by filling that need. And I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you um, before you leave today and before we continue with our service. Father, I thank you so much for Nanette, God, and I thank you so much for her leadership team. God, I thank you for her board. I thank you for all the volunteers that show up week in and week out who have uh, showed up during this period of time that um, might cause them risk, but they've done it anyway. They've done it willingly. Father, I thank you for those in our church who are part of Hilton Head Island Community Church who uh, serve on a regular basis and who may serve every once in a while, God. I thank you for those who bought gift cards to be able to um, help people during COVID-19 Um, with some of the basic needs of life. And God, I thank you that Sandalwood and Hilton Head Island Community Church is a beacon for racial reconciliation. And Father, I pray that you would continue to change us and to mold us into your image, into the image of your son. God, that we would be serving and sharing the gospel message and seeing the walls of racism come down as well. God, I pray a prayer of blessing over Nanette's life and her ministry, God, of serving those who are in our community, who maybe some would consider the least of these, because your word says when we've done it to the least of these, we've done it to you. And I thank you for, for Nanette, and I pray her, your blessing over her life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for Amen. being with us, Nanette. Thank you. God bless you all. Today we are in our last uh, installment of our series, I Choose Love, and uh, I'm so thankful for Nanette and Sandalwood, and I know that they're journeying with us uh, virtually, so why don't we give it up for Sandalwood and for Nanette uh, this morning for sharing her story. 
And if you know Nanette, she is a bold, and uh, it's her boldness that allows her and Sandwood to be able to uh, serve the people that uh, they serve. And uh, she's making a huge difference in our community um, and, and in the lives of some of those in our community who have the greatest need. Now, um, in answer to my first question, some of you may have been bothered by something Nanette said, right? And uh, so it may have shocked you, and that's uh, Nanette's perspective on Jesus in that passage. And while you may not like uh, what she said or, or how she said that, uh, she was trying to drive home a point that in that passage, Jesus at the end of that broke through some racial barriers. And I see, I, I, the way I see it is, is that he did change his mind in that passage. He went from a place of not wanting to uh, heal her and serve her to a place where he did heal her and serve her. And in doing that, he honored her great faith and broke through some of those deep barriers that existed. And of course, the main point of that passage is, is that Jesus honored her great and amazing faith. And don't allow your discomfort with maybe some of the things that you hear um, to cloud your picture of what God is doing through this series and in this message. Because I'm hearing some great things in our groups that are going on. I'm hearing of a lot of people who God, uh, the Holy Spirit is, is really piercing our hearts and revealing some maybe deep-seated things that we have in our lives um, that are racist. And don't miss, don't allow some of that discomfort to cause you to miss the bigger picture that we have a job to do as Christ followers, and that is continue in the spirit of Jesus breaking down some of those racial barriers and some of those barriers of culture that exist. I have always uh, had a dream for our church that God would lead us to a place where in our community, uh, we would be the first call when there's a crisis. And I love the fact that when Nanette, as she and her board and her leadership team are looking for a new place to serve, that they called us first. And, and it also, it's amazing. I know this has probably happened in your lives for those of you who are here in the house, for those of you who are, are watching and listening online. I know that this has happened um, for you probably many times in your life where um, God ordered your steps and there was this kind of, uh, you know, kind of focus, this alignment of uh, outside circumstances that uh, led you to confirm something that God was doing or, or perhaps uh, caused you to, to look at things differently. And, and if you mix the dream and the vision that I think God gave me years ago for us to be the first call. And also three years ago, uh, we as a staff really felt like God was leading us to start a Spanish-speaking ministry, an Hispanic ministry. Um, these kind of things are kind of coming together, I believe, in, in leading us as a church to, to do a ministry that I think could exist on this campus. Um, September 1st begins our new budget year, and uh, you, some of you know Jesus, who's been a part of our church uh, for the better part of all, I think coming on two years now. Um, he is going to uh, move from being an intern in our student ministry to becoming our Hispanic pastor, and we're very excited about that for Jesus, which is awesome. And he's building a team um, to reach out to, by the way, uh, the population on Hilton Head Island that uh, in the 2010 census showed uh, that was made up 15% of our island. 
showed that 77% were white here, that 15% were Hispanic or Latino, and 7% black. And, and I almost promise you that when the census comes out for 2020, those numbers in the black community and uh, particularly the Hispanic community are definitely going to go up. And what that means is, is that we as a church, we don't want to, to look like what Nanette described and what uh, Dr. King described, that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated time of the week. We want to look like and we want to feel like and we want to lead like Jesus did. And that is, is that we look like our community, that we represent our community. And the way that we can do that, church, is to be a part of breaking through some of these barriers, to help tear down some of the walls that exist, to be bold enough to out there and love like Jesus and to serve like Jesus and to passionately share Jesus with our world. So far in this series, we've talked about oneness, that God's goal for us is oneness. We've talked about repentance, repenting from some of those deep-seated racial issues that we may have in our lives. We talked about loving like Jesus. We talked about uh, racial experiences with some of my guests that I've had and reconciliation. Last week, we talked about authority issues and the abuse of authority and rebellion against authority that play into some of these issues that we are facing. Now, the one theme that um, we've had... Well, we've had several themes throughout the series, but one of the themes that if you picked up on, good for you, if you didn't, the one of the themes that we've been talking about is our inability as a culture to solve the problem of racism. I, I'm, a, I'm a patriot, uh, I'm not a New England patriot, I am the furthest furthest thing from a New England Patriot fan, but I am a Patriot. I love America. I'm, I'm like, you know, I grew up in, in 1980s America, which was pretty awesome, but, uh, and, and I love our history, and I love our founders, and I love our documents, and I love the way that we do life, but I got to tell you that we missed it on this one. We just did. We never got this right, but the world has never gotten this right. We've never gotten this right. We've tried plan after plan, and we've, uh, you know, we've voted different people into office. We've sought out a different political candidate. We've found a new system. We've tried different laws and ordinances, and we, go, we kind of recycle old material over and over and over again with the hopes that we will solve the problem of racism. And we never do, not just in this country, but around the world. We fail to solve the problem of racism over and over and over again. And if we understood God's word, we would realize that that's part of the problem of sin. The writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to man, but in its end, it's the way to death. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. And so as much as we are surprised, we shouldn't be surprised that our solutions to racial reconciliation have never fully succeeded. We may move the needle a little bit. There may be a crisis and we take two steps forward, but then all of a sudden after a little while, we take a step back. God's word is clear that on our own church, that on our own in our culture, that on our own as individuals or communities, that we can't solve this problem apart from him. We cannot solve this problem apart from Jesus. 
Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament and wrote the letter that was addressed to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 13 through 15, was speaking to this issue. And he writes this, and this is where we get the idea of oneness that we talked about in week one. He writes this, and I want to remind you of this, and I want to take a look at a few of the phrases here. Ephesians chapter 2, 13 through 15. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Now, there's a few things I want to point out in that passage, that important letter that Paul wrote. The first is, is that the goal is one new man. You see, we serve one God. Yes, he's three in one, but we serve one God. We serve a God who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, but he is one God. And we serve one God whose desire is for us to be one race with differences and celebrating our uniquenesses, but also desiring for us to be one. The other thing I want to point out is Paul in this passage says that it is Christ Jesus who is the one who has brought us near. It is God's Son who resolved the problem that we have in this vertical relationship between us and God. More on that in a moment. It is he himself, Paul says, who is our peace. Jesus is our peace. It is the very nature of who he is that is the one who brings about peace. The book of Matthew echoes the words of Isaiah in describing who Jesus is and what he will do. When it says, and in his name, the nations or the Gentiles will hope. And church, I want you to hear today that all of our efforts may fail. All of our honest and genuine work in this area may fail. And we may realize in our spirit that we just have no hope to solve the problem of racism. But I want you to hear today that there is hope and that hope lies in the person of Jesus. Only Jesus can bring ultimate reconciliation to the problem of racism. Only Jesus can bring ultimate and final reconciliation to the problem of racism. Without him, there is no hope, but with him, there is full hope of resolution, of restoration, of repentance, of coming together to be one. Now, does that mean that racism will never exist if the whole world comes to Christ? Wouldn't that be a great thing, by the way? Wouldn't that be a great thing? Does that mean that those who come to faith in Jesus will never struggle with racism? No. Because 
while we accept Jesus as our Savior and our sins, past, present, and future, are washed away, unfortunately, the problem of sin still exists. And even though we may have the hope of eternal life because of Jesus, we still struggle with sin. I know I do. (laughs) I know I do. We all do. Even after we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we do. So, no. It doesn't mean that those who come into faith will never struggle with racism. See, we can be right about salvation and still in this world get a lot wrong, Christians. Oh, man, if we could understand that, we could actually start to make change. Does it mean... Conversely, that those who never come into faith with Jesus will always struggle with racism? No, it doesn't mean that. The problem of sin still exists. Does it mean that we have no hope? By no means. It means that a person's heart, the fact that Jesus is our ultimate hope, it means that a person's heart can only truly be changed in this area and so many other areas of our lives when we have a genuine encounter with God's Son, our Savior. That's our hope. That is our hope for real, foundational, genuine heart change to happen. And that's what God is in the business of doing. He's in the business of changing our hearts. All the way back in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 Ezekiel uh, says, well, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Listen, church, there is hope in Jesus because he is the one that can bring real and lasting change. And when the world has an encounter with Jesus, their heart, when it is genuine, when it is real, when it is truthful, their heart can change and it can change on this issue as well. There's also a logical reason that we can have hope. There's a logical reason behind having that heart change, that genuine heart change in because of Jesus and in Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen, church, racial reconciliation is built on the foundation of God's reconciliation with man that was destroyed because of sin. And if he can do this, if he can do this work, then he definitely can do this work, right? See, if the relationship between us and God was restored through Jesus, then we have great hope that the relationship between humanity can be restored through Jesus as well. It gives us hope. The fact that he took care of this, this was the bigger problem. This was the foundational problem, and he solved that through the life and the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. And if he can do this, he can solve this problem. He can solve the problem of the barriers between cultures and races. But church, we are the conduit. If he is the only one who can give hope, then we, his people, are the conduit that can bring that hope to the world. 
When we bring Jesus to the world, we bring the hope of racial reconciliation. When we bring Jesus to the world, we choose to love like Jesus loves. When we bring Jesus to the world, we choose to love like Jesus did. And we also choose to love when we choose to share Jesus and the message of the gospel. In furthering the message of the gospel, we are a part of furthering racial reconciliation. It is not just a good way to bring down the walls of racism. It is the only way to truly bring down these walls is by us being on mission as people and as a church. And then we become people who pass along hope. We become people who hand out hope. Right in the midst of the uh, quarantine, how long was that quarantine? Two months? Seemed like five years to me. I don't know about you. I hope we never have to go back to that. But during that quarantine, during that period of time from about March 15th to April 15th, middle, middle, or excuse me, middle of May there, um, we all were in our homes except going to grocery stores and that sort of thing. And um, there was a period of time in there where um, some people here locally from the Watterson Foundation reached out to us and said, hey, uh, we are doing something called um, Help for Hope. And uh, this is where they were handing out cards to help restaurants and businesses in our community, but also to help people in our community. An amazing, amazing effort that they did during the worst part of the quarantine. And they called us about 24 hours before and said, hey, by the way, um, we're probably going to have to use your parking lot to help. Uh, with passing these out. We're like, all right, let's go. So our staff got together real quick and we kind of helped organize and we ended up being a part of that uh, uh, that uh, one time when they did it here on the Hargrave campus and here on Hilton Head Island Community Church's campus. And so we were a part of Help for Hope and I love one of their taglines because one of their taglines is, is that they wanted to be hope dealers. I like that. That's pretty cool. They wanted to be dealers of hope. They wanted to pass out hope in the form of a gift card, of a certificate that helped the businesses, that helped families, that helped people have food. It was a great, great opportunity. But you know what, church? We have an even greater opportunity because we can be hope dealers as well. We have the greatest opportunity to deal hope because we are on mission telling people about the one who can bring ultimate hope, and that's Jesus, God's son. That's an incredibly weighty, but an incredibly great opportunity for us. But it requires us collectively and individually to live on mission. Part of that mission is loving and serving our community in radical and unique ways. That's part of the mission. That's part of how we're going to bring Jesus to our community and to our world. That's part of how we are going to be eternal hope dealers. And so my lasting question in this series, my lasting question for today, is an incredibly personal one. And that is how is your heart on this issue? How is 
the health of your heart in the area of racism and racial reconciliation. You know what I've found? That in this area, no matter what background you come from, no matter where you have originated from, no matter what your story is, it seems like in this area, there's always a little more introspection that God can do and a little more that he may find rooted deep in us. So my question today is how is your heart? For those of you who already have accepted Jesus as your Savior, how's your heart on this issue? Are there prejudices that you, if you were really honest, I'm not talking about you judging your family or your community or you and your friends. I'm talking about you just allowing the Spirit of God to do a work in you. Are there, are there prejudices that you have towards a group of people or a person because of the color of their skin or because of their culture? Man, it's time to make an evaluation of your heart. It's time for me to make a full evaluation of my heart. Because God won't be able to use us effectively to be dealers of hope and to choose love like Jesus chose love unless he works on our heart. Maybe it's time for you to allow him to do the work of taking out that heart of stone and just letting go, letting him give you a heart of flesh in this area. For those of you who maybe have been tuning in for these past weeks and you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior, see, you can't have peace in your heart if you first don't have peace with God. And so maybe on this issue, you're unsettled, but maybe you're unsettled because you don't have this down first. And maybe today, maybe right now, maybe whenever you're watching, maybe it's time for you to put your faith in Jesus so that you can have peace in your heart on this issue. Church, we are a group of people who are called to choose love. But how is your heart? How's your heart? Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you won't allow anything that's been said, anything that has happened in this room and in this place, and for those who are watching online, God, I pray that you would clear through anything, and I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would change us right now from the inside out. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now. And Father, I pray for those Christ followers who already, whether it's been a day or a week or a month or, or years, decades, most of their life have been Christ followers. Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would continue to speak to our hearts in this area of reconciliation between different races. God, I pray that you would break down the walls that divide us. God, I pray that we as your people would be seen by the world as people who promote unity and not division. That we would be people who promote peace because you brought it and not conflict. That we would be people who point our world to you because you are the one, the only one who can bring lasting, final hope 
And Father, right now, I pray in the strong name of Jesus for those who are within the sound of my voice, who they've never had peace with you. Because they can't have peace with you, it's gonna be impossible for them to have peace in their heart. If you're here in this room, or you may be watching or listening online, and you've never made that decision to put your faith in Jesus to be your savior, I wanna challenge you, and I wanna encourage you, and I wanna invite you to get this right so that God can get this right. Right now, I want to give you the opportunity to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. God sent His Son into this world to die, to take the sin that you and I and the rest of the world have committed on His shoulders so that we could have a relationship with God once again. And the Bible says that it's not difficult. It says that it's easy. All we have to do is just admit that we're sinners, believe that Jesus is who he said he was, and to confess him as our Savior. And so right now, I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never had peace with God, I promise you, this will be the greatest decision that you've ever made in your life, to say yes to him. So you can quietly, just you and God, repeat these words if you mean them in your heart, if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior. Father, Thank you for loving me enough to send your son to die for my sins. And right now, I choose to put my faith in you, Jesus, for eternity. I admit that I have faults and failures and I choose to trust you to be my savior. Help me now to live for you. If you prayed that prayer, whether you're listening online or watching online, or if you're in this room, please let us know about that. If you're in this room, come and see me, come and see Jesus, Justin, one of our pastors. If you're online, let us know, uh, direct message us, email us, let us know how uh, what, what that decision that you've made and how we can help you in your newfound faith. Father God, I thank you for the work that you're doing in this community, in this church. And Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of having hope for reconciliation because of what you did on the cross. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.